The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. For Brother Bert Harper today on American Family Radio's Exploring the Word. We'll be joined by Dr. Alex McFarland in just a moment. Having a little logistics issue and we're trying to work that through that. In the meantime, go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Nahum. And today we're in chapter 3. So that's Nahum, the third chapter. By the way, I want to remind you coming up very soon is the... Um, AFA's presentation of AFA at Home. Now, some of you may have remember the one that we did previously, and it was it received a lot of response. And this one will feature our very own Bert Harper, as well as Mickey Addison, E.W. Jackson, Ed Vitagliano, Tony Perkins, and my friend Pastor Jeff Shreve. And so that's coming your way Thursday at uh, April 29th at 7 p.m. Now, the key here is that it will be at AFR.net. Pardon me, that's AFA.net. And you can pre-register at AFA.net. There's no cost for this, but we we do ask you to register. And so that way you can have that out of way and you can join straight into the broadcast that evening. Again, that's AFA at Home, version 2, if you will. And we're looking forward to this uh, you know, Walker Wildman will be the host of that, as he was before. And so it's going to be a virtual town hall featuring a conversation about spiritual warfare. Now, that's one of the things there that um, spiritual warfare is one of the topics we get a lot of questions on. And so this will be a unique opportunity for you to hear from some different viewpoints of our host and uh, again, including our very own Bert Harper. So we're looking forward to that. Again, we're in Nahum, the second, or pardon me, third chapter. Um, and we invite you to come alongside of us there. And I think that we have worked out our logistical issues, and I can welcome Dr. Alex McFarland. Hey, Alex. Hello, Jim. Good, good to hear your voice, brother. And it's especially good to hear yours, because I can tell you, I could read the book of Nahum, but I don't have the deep knowledge of it that you do. Well, you know, uh, we got, we've got these wonderful gadgets that enable us to do radio, and sometimes they work right on the top of the hour, and sometimes it takes a minute. But we are in Nahum chapter 3, verse 2, and it's good to be with you, brother. Well, it's good to be with you as well. I was talking about the uh, what's coming up on April 29th with the AFA at home, and so when you joined in, that's, that's what I was talking about there. Um, mm-hmm. Now, tell us again where you're going to be this weekend. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm going to be at Good Shepherd Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. That's a a church uh, that I've been helping out a little bit here and there during the COVID months. And this Sunday, April 25th, is my last Sunday to help out Good Shepherd Church. But uh, beyond that, we have got a really full year of uh, travels all over the country. And 
Uh, I just want to thank everybody um, that listens to Exploring the Word. You know, whenever I'm on the road anywhere, people come up, and sometimes they drive many hours to come and worship and hear the Word. And so my, my own website, which is alexmcfarland.com, has my schedule. Let me give one plug, though, if I may. Uh, the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina. I'm going to be there June 25 through 27. Uh, there's only a few seats left, but there, I don't know, maybe maybe 23, 24 registrations left. We're going to be going through the Book of Acts, Spiritual Awakening and Revival in the Book of Acts, and so their website is thecove.org. And friend, if you've never been to the Cove, and I'm not just saying this because I'm going to be the speaker, but it is so wonderful, and Randall Murphy of the Journal is going to be there. You'll get to meet him as well. So June 25 through 27, uh, that especially is going to be a, a very key time to come together with people from all over America, and we'll pray together, and we'll study the Book of Acts. You know, Alex, we talk about consecrated places from time to time, and we talk about the, the very real presence of the peace of God. And I don't mean this in any spooky spiritual way at all, but when you step out of your car onto the property there at the Billy Graham Training Center uh, there at the Cove, you feel like you, you are really on consecrated or holy ground. And yeah. you will never meet a staff that has a more servants-like heart than you will with the staff there. And it can be the folks at the front desk. It can be one of the greenskeeper. It can be, you know, when I say any member of the staff, I mean that because they have some of the uh, kindest people that you'll ever meet. And I can tell you, it is absolutely gorgeous. And it would be worth the trip, you know, just to, to be part of the Cove experience. But the fact that you're going to be there is going to, is going to make it really good too. Now, and, and I mean that. I, I don't, like you said, it's not just because you're there. That's just a bonus. Well, and, and you know, let me say this. Um, they say that, you know, when the Billy Graham ministry, they acquired that land, and it's in a one of the mountains of North Carolina. It's right at Asheville. But uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, and, and Billy Graham himself, they, they walked over those grounds, and they prayer walked over it. And they knew someday that there would be a Bible teaching center there, and of course it is. But um, I love to think about the fact that Billy and Ruth Graham prayed over all that land and that they said, hey, long after they would go on to heaven, that the Bible would mm -hmm. still be taught there and people would be equipped. And Jim is right. I mean, the Lord is in that place in a very powerful way. So the Cove, Erwin um, Lutzer is there just about every year, and just all Franklin Graham, all kind of great people. Mm -hmm. I feel so privileged that every every year I get to go teach at the Cove, and um, a lot of the stuff we've done on exploring the Word, Colossians, the Book of Romans, the Daniel Revelation study, it becomes what I teach at the Cove. And this year I'm going to be doing the Book of Acts. So, um, you know, Amen. Check out my schedule on alexmcfarland.com. But well, Jim, now, let me let me let me interrupt you for one minute. I apologize. We do want to get to the to the book of Nahum uh, and finish it out today. But before we do, uh, we have someone uh, W E in North Carolina, and they have a great question. And it's it's simple. I mean, you know, it, I don't mean simple. I mean it's a it's a fairly straightforward question. What's the difference between priest and preachers? And where did priests originally come from? Now, Alex, I, I want to be clear. 
We're not talking about Catholic priests and preachers of today, but we're going back into the Old Testament studies where, and even into Hebrews where we're talking about the high priest and, and the priest of the gospel, aren't we? We are, and, and thank you, uh, uh, listener, for submitting that question. And by the way, let me give the phone number, too, because later on after we finish up um, Nahum 3, we're going to open up the phones for questions, as we always do on Exploring the Word. The number, get ready, it's 888 589 You know, uh, when Bert Harper and I talked through the book of Genesis, we spent a fair amount of time on Genesis 14 and the subject of Melchizedek. Now, you remember God gave Abraham land and descendants and made that promise that through you all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so Melchizedek was a priest who was, uh, Genesis 14 says, the king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God. Abraham uh, blessed him and gave, gave him tithes. All right, to the question, what are priests and preachers and where did they come from? As far as I can see, the first priest really ever was Melchizedek. And a priest would represent man to God. Now, Jesus is our high priest in Hebrews chapter 7, talks about that Jesus is a even a better priest than, than Melchizedek. So priests were the one that would go before God on behalf of man. Now, pastors and preachers in the New Testament, that's a little bit different. But as I read my Bible, I think the, the, the first priest we read of would have been Melchizedek. Would you agree, Jim? I do. I, I think you're absolutely right there. And, uh, the, you know, when, and when we look at it today uh, in modern-day terms, we think of priests and preachers. And now correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that we could say that modern-day preachers that care for their flock, that care for their uh, church, they would be considered the priest of that church, wouldn't they? They would, and, and really a, a shepherd of the souls of, of the people. Um, you know, if you read Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and remember just a little context here, Christ ascended back to heaven and said, Terry in Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Father, Pentecost. Peter preached at Pentecost, and the church was born. Now, for the church, um, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says God gave pastors, teachers, and evangelists for equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, a, a pastor or a preacher, the, the priest of a church, uh, the, the role of a New Testament pastor is different than the role of an Old Testament priest. Mm -hmm. a, a, the Levites were the 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 priestly class but Ephesians 4 talks about the role of the preacher equipping the saints 1 Timothy 3 and Bert and I have taught through 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus very often called the pastoral letters or pastoral epistles okay the an overseer or a or a pastor um, should be self-controlled should be a person you know who teaches the word who does the work of an evangelist. Isn't that something? One of the roles of the, the local pastor is to evangelize lost people. Mm -hmm. And so uh, where did it all come from? I believe the good Lord initiated it, just like he raised up Abraham and the nation of Israel with those priests. Now we're in that church age where the church 
every believer is a witness and the, the local overseer is to preach the word, shepherd the flock, and be an example in soul winning and Christian living. Amen. Good stuff. That's All a good right. question, isn't it? It, it was, and, and I really like the answer and the way that you laid that out. Well, we are in the third chapter of the book of Nahum. I almost called it the book of Nineveh again, and that <laughs> wouldn't be right. Um, but I'm going to go back to verse 1. And, you know, I think that um, we're, we're about to come up on a break, so I'm going to read a couple of verses, and then we'll talk about them after the break. But I want to go back to verse 1. Uh, Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Its victims are prey never depart. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. Because of the multitude of, of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations there through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Now, Alex, you know, those first four verses are pretty tough. And remember, we, when we look back uh, in chapter 2, we talked about the phrase uh, of God saying, Behold, I am against you. Mm. We're about to see that phrase again. And so I want, want us to go back and talk about these first four verses and then move on into to verse 5. So folks, stick around. We'll have more of Exploring the Word with Dr. Alex McFarlane and Jim Stanley and for Bert Harper. We'll be back straight ahead on AFR. This is Pause to Pray. A chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Thomas J. Walters, Director of the Federal Law Enforcement Training Centers. Mr. Walters helps move forward the department's mission of working to train those who protect our homeland. Hebrews 13.6 reminds us of God's protection. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Thomas J. Walters as he works to protect our people and our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2021 prayer journal to help guide you through the year in prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Bankers, retailers, investment advisors, even friends and family. It seems like everybody's got ideas about what we should do with our money. But Dr. Tony Evans explains why we should be seeking advice from a higher source as we spend two minutes with Tony. Doing business God's way and doing business man's way are two different ways of doing business. That's very important. If you handle your funds like everybody else, don't be surprised that you're in the mess that everybody else is in. And one of the reasons we're in such financial messes as families and as individuals is that the world has set our agenda. The rest of the citizens have set our program so God is not able to bless us according to his approach. If you take the world's way of handling your money, then you get the world to help you. And the Bible says one of the ways you know that the world is in charge of you is that you become a slave to the lender. 
The Bible says the borrower is a slave to the lender. And if you are a slave to the banks, if you are a slave to your debts, some of us need to have plastic surgery. We need to uh, cut off those credit cards because we are enslaved to them. They can claim our lives, our home, our cars. Every dime in your home was given to you by God. It all belongs to God. And while only a portion directly goes to his storehouse, the local church, all of it is to be managed for his glory. Learn more about how a godly husband and father watches over his family's finances and faith. Check out Dr. Evans' best-selling book, Kingdom Man. It'll teach you how to follow God's agenda at home, at work, at church, and in society. Get a copy for yourself and order some extras for your church. Details on Kingdom Man are waiting for you online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time as we spend two minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. I know the answer to every question, the one solution. Jim Stanley in for Dr. Well, I'm not in for Dr. Alex McFarland today. I'm with Dr. Alex McFarland, but I almost gave Bert a uh, doctorate there just from the school of Jim Stanley, and I don't think that would carry much weight for him. But we're in the third uh, chapter of the uh, the book of Nahum, and Alex, uh, we read some voice verses just before the break. Well, yeah, and verse 5 of Nahum 3, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, we read something very similar to that in chapter 2, and again, you know, uh, this book, it might sound kind of depressing, chapter 3 is going to end up and we'll, we'll circle back to this, but your injury has no healing, your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? Okay, Nineveh is in a bad state, and God is against them, and all their sin and violence and immorality. Here's this word in verse 4, harlotries. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just unspeakable immorality. It's bringing the judgment of God. Now, let me, let me throw something out here, Jim. Keep in mind, 100 years prior, there had been a great revival under Jonah. And yet now, by the time of Nahum, they are in just an irredeemable state of, of sin and darkness. Now, here, here's my point. When God comes in and blesses with his presence, when there's a visitation from God, if, if that isn't nurtured, oftentimes when a culture falls away, they're in a worse state than before the revival. And I'm thinking about our own nation. But, Jim, have you ever known situations where, you know, historically there was a great move of God, there was a very strong presence of Christianity, but if there is, um, the Bible uses words like apostasy or backsliddenness or carnality, very often, the state of a people who has fallen away is worse than when they ever, before they knew God in the first place. Are you, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that has to do with the rejection of the Word and of the Spirit uh, and, the, and, in fact, the, the very lifestyle of wanting to be a Christ follower. 
You know, mm-hmm. we have so many folks that are preaching different gospels now, and especially in America, that we have to look at the Bible. And folks, you know, like I was saying the other day, it's good from Genesis to maps. Um, <laughs> and yes. it, but, but it's one of those things that we just have to be so careful of uh, because you can go in. The church may look gorgeous, may be a huge church, and look gorgeous on the outside, have some of the, the best apparel and, and uh, seats and everything and upholstery on the inside, beautiful stonework, beautiful carpet, beautiful stained glass. And if they're not preaching the true word of God, it could, it, it, I'll just say it's pretty much as useful as an outhouse. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think about this. Um, one of the very first nations thoroughly evangelized 18, 1900 years ago was Syria. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't think about Syria as a Christian nation. You probably think about uh, Syria and so much of the Middle East as Islamic nowadays. But there was a day when Ethiopia and Syria and Egypt uh, were thoroughly, thoroughly Christian. And somewhere along the journey of history, the, the ball was dropped and it wasn't passed on. That's one of the reasons that I, I, I passionately pray for America, because clearly, w- without argument, we were founded on Christian principles. Jim, I'll say this. I want to read from Nahum 3 again. Mm-hmm. Something dawned on me as I was traveling, and um, I've been in a lot of churches, and I noticed in, in graveyards, because I would go and look at cemeteries and epitaphs, very interesting. Um, if you go far enough east, I mean, there's some gravestones from the 1600s. Mm-hmm. There are many, many tombstones from the 1700s. And what it, what it dawned on me one day, in fact, I was at a church in Ohio, of a listener, I had been invited to Ohio, and there were some Revolutionary War soldiers buried in this particular churchyard. But if if you look at the cemeteries, up until the mid twentieth century, ninety five percent of all tombstones had a Bible verse. Mm-hmm. Some, and once in a blue moon, you might see a, a Jewish gravestone that had a Star of David, and once rarely there might be tombstones with nothing but a name and a date, but Whenever I say we were founded as a Christian nation, you go in the graveyards, 18th, 19th, 20th century, you know, the vast majority of all the tombstones have some biblical or Christian reference. Now, that Christianity for America sort of hangs in the balance. And just like Nahum, 100 years prior, they had an amazing revival under Jonah. But by the time of Nahum, God says, I'm against you. Mm-hmm. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness. That was very demoralizing and shameful. Look at verse 6. Uh, I will cast abominable filth on you, make you vile, make you a spectacle. They had lost the relationship with the living God Amen. that they once had, but apparently took for granted. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the things here, when we look at the New Testament and even through the Old Testament, but sometimes folks would talk about, you know, they could not, uh, the, the people, the Jewish people at that time, you know, if they touched a dead body, they were considered unclean. And they had to go through purification from the priest to be able to, to fellowship again. And, and there were so many different ways 
that and it and it didn't just have to be a dead person it could be interaction with Samaritans and other folks from outside of the tribe uh, and when we and the reason I say that is because there in verse 6 uh, in verse 7 it it shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say Nineveh is laid waste who will bemoan her where shall I seek comforters for you and you know Alex if they have been reviled that much to the point that just saying, seeing them makes you want to flee, it's almost like the coming upon a group of lepers who had the bells around their robes so that folks would see them coming and know that they were unclean. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember God had warned Israel in Deuteronomy 28 uh, and Psalm 44 that if you fall away from me, you will become a byword among the nations, B-Y-W-O-R-D. And interesting, uh, God warned Israel repeatedly, you know, don't fall away from me. It says you'll become a thing of horror and a byword. Well, what is a byword? Think about this, folks. Um, like uh, a colloquial word for somebody, and I'm just going to say this. I remember when I first got saved in the 80s, there were two men very famous. One was Jimmy Swaggart and one was Jim Baker. Mm. And and I used to hear people say, they'd say something like, well, that, you know, you don't want to go to that preacher. He's just a, he's just like a Jim Baker kind of thing. And sadly, that, that man's name became a byword to connote somebody that was, was not forthright. Well, here's the thing. God told Nineveh, just like he had warned Israel, look, the nations, you're going to be a spectacle to the nations. All who pass by will say, Nineveh is laid waste. Do you know what, Jim? I fear that our nation, America, is becoming a byword and an object of, of mm. scorn and ridicule. Why? Not because God turned away from us, but because we turned away from God. And that's why we need a revival so much. And, uh, and he says in verse 8, look... You're, you're no better than, than Ammon that was by the river that had waters around her. Uh, Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless, uh, yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Um, we, we all know people that they made bad decisions mm-hmm. or they overtly disobeyed God. And here's the thing, folks. Sin has a cost. Sin has a, a, a cost. Uh, it goes on and it talks about um, you know, men that were drunk, and drunkenness in Scripture implies loss of control, uh, being very vulnerable. Uh, you will be hidden. You'll seek refuge, but there won't be refuge. Look at, uh, let me, I know I'm going quickly, but verse 13, the gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire will devour the bars of your gates. Um, the gates being opened signifies um, being vulnerable. There's no security. You're ripe for being invaded and taken over. And sin does that. Sin weakens. Sin jeopardizes. Sin destroys. Nineveh is in a state of sin. It sure was. And one of the other things about the gate to think about there is that the city had a wall around it. You know, uh, and there were gates at various places for people to enter and people to leave. 
And then if the enemy was coming, one of the first things they would do would be to make sure all the gates were closed. I think of the forts, you know, that we read about in in the Old West. And, uh, I mean, even Cheyenne Mountain. If you go to visit Cheyenne Mountain, there's a point that you can go. And then you can't go any further because of the military base that's there. They have gates. They're fortified. Uh, and even, you know, now around the White House, there are gates that are fortified. So, Alex, when they talk about those gates being left open, that's the first sense that it, you have the spiritual gate of God's protection that is being removed. And then the physical protection of the gate of that city that's been removed because it's just left open to whoever comes. Exactly. You know, in the Bible, whenever you talk about a wall or a hedge, you know, a hedgerow like the, the brush around a field, well, a hedge of protection, that, that was safety and security, a wall and gates. You know, when uh, Nehemiah was going to try to restore Jerusalem and he said the city gates are burned, whenever the gates are gone, that's, as we said, being vulnerable you're at risk, and that's symbolic of uh, a, a nation that's yeah maybe economically and socially uh, falling apart, but even worse, spiritually. I want to say this. There's a real tie between the spiritual and the social. Jim, um, I don't want to digress from Nahum 3, but John Adams was our, our first vice president. John Adams was the second U.S. president. And one time he wrote this about the, the connection between morals and national security and stability. And John Adams said, quote, we have no government armed with the power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morals and religion. And he says anger, ambition, all these things would break our Constitution as easily as a whale going through a net. And then famously, Adams said, our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the governance of any other. Now, what Adams was saying and what really Nahum and Nineveh illustrate is when you lost your morals, you've lost your relationship with God, you will descend into anarchy. And look, Jim, I was watching a sermon on YouTube from the 50s. It was a great sermon by a minister on YouTube warning that if we don't have a revival and not only salvation but just morals that our country would fall to some outside power. And and what do you think the what do you think the preachers of old would say about 2021? Mm. My goodness. Um you you can't hardly watch anything on TV without blushing because of so much objectionable material in what we call entertainment. So we're a nation, much like ancient Nineveh, we need to repent and return to God. Now, let me let me throw out here in, in verse 17, it goes in, in very pictorial language, talks about fire devouring the gates, and um, you might think you could fortify your strongholds by building bricks, and uh, but the 14 and 15, it's, it's kind of pictorial. You think you can fire up the kiln and make brick? Well, the fire will destroy you. The sword you think you're going to forge will cut you off, eat you up like a locust. It says your commanders 
are like insects, like grasshoppers, that uh, try to survive the cold winter in the hedges, and the sun comes up and they flee away. Verse 18, your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountain. Nobody gathers them. Okay, shepherds that go to sleep, they lose their flock. Mm. Nobles in the dust, they're dead. People scattered on the mountains, the image is like a battle. Bodies, a body count from a, from a war that's been lost. No one gathers. Jim, all of this, here's the point. Without God, without repentance, it's a pretty bleak scenario, isn't it? It sure is. In verse 19 there at the end, your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? You know, that's a pretty tough last verse. It's not like Paul where there are some great benedictions yeah, uh, that, yeah. that yeah. are encouraging. That's one of those there that the what happened in Nineveh and what happened to the nation of Assyria, you know, that right there and what we've seen through history, when God says, I am against you, he means it. Yeah. You know, the Bible makes a, a lot of promises about, you know, in returning in repentance, you will find rest. Second mm-hmm. Chronicles 714, you know, if you confess your sins, God will hear from heaven. Uh, but the people that would clap their hands in maybe some despair, some joy, yay, Nineveh got what was coming to them. I pray that America's not in that state. I pray that we could show the world what it's like when a nation turns back to God. Amen. Folks, give us a call with your Bible questions at 1-800. Nope, that's not right. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. You almost got the number for Sherathon. We'll be back straight ahead on AFR. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. The gospel of Jesus Christ really is simple, but sometimes we make it less than simple. We even add things to it. I'm Charles Morris, inviting you to join me for Haven Today, all week, and for a series we're calling Getting the Gospel Right. Haven Today, weekday mornings at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Here Jesus instructed his disciples to cross a lake and meet him on the other side of it. As they went, they were met by a violent windstorm that halted their progress. Often in our Christian lives, we receive clear instruction from the Lord, only to be met by an obstacle that halts our progress. We must, however, recognize that the onset of a storm does not cancel out God's instructions. Halted progress does not equal denied destination. When Jesus directed the disciples to go to the other side, he absolutely meant for them to get there. 
Delay does not equal denial. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says this, The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. Once I was in a situation where I needed God to answer my prayer specifically and quickly. I prayed, God, I need you to do this, and I need it by, and I gave Him a date. Well, God didn't answer that prayer by the deadline I gave him, but he did forgive me for being presumptuous. He also reminded me that he doesn't work on my schedule. We should pray specific prayers. However, it's crucial to be patient and wait for the Lord as you seek his will. Don't try to get ahead of God. Be patient and wait on him. He will answer and give all you need in his perfect timing. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. You're listening to American Family Radio. Here's a thought from Scripture. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You know, Assyria and Nineveh could have been saved had they remembered the words of Jonah. Then the words of Nahum may not have been needed. But if they had remembered that our God was mighty to save, they might have might have staved off being destroyed. I'm Jim Stanley, along with Dr. Alex McFarland. Now, Alex, in the last uh, segment, you were talking about visiting old graveyards and some mm-hmm. of the things you would find there that helped talk about our Christian heritage in this nation. I had the opportunity several years ago to visit Mount Vernon oh, and boy. Uh, visited the tomb of George Washington there. And on one of the smaller monuments or headstones, uh, this was written. And it says, as a judge, he was wise and just. As a man of truth, hunting covetous, firm in every honor, able purpose and pursuit, yet gentle, humane, and condescending. Now, I want to just stop right there for a second. And uh, this was back when condescending used to mean something else. And, yeah. and I say that because, you know, now it, it sounds like you're hoity-toity and looking down yeah. at people. And before, it used to be, according to Merriam-Webster, and, I, and I've done this before, so that's why I knew what to look for. It talks about the fact that it's, almost, it's considered the tense in biblical terms where you're, you're self-consciously lowering oneself to make sure that you're on everyone else's level. And that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what the meaning was there. It says he was sure. a sincere Christian, doing in all things the will of his master and resting his hope of eternal happiness alone on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. Some folks want to tell you George Washington was not a believer. I think that disproves that theory. 
Oh, wow. You know, um, I had mentioned, I think it was yesterday, that we had had um, on the show, and it's been many years ago, but we had a lady on who had uh, transcribed George Washington's prayer journals. And and the book she had written was called The Faith of Our Founding Father. And Jim, I'll never forget some of the words. Her name was Janice Connell. We had had her on the show. In fact, it might have been Marvin Sanders and me that had her on the program. But she was reading some of George Washington's prayer journal, and it would start like this. It said, Heavenly Father, before whom I may appear, only wrapped in the righteousness of thy dear son Jesus. Dot, dot, dot. Amen. And and he would say, you know, in the name of Jesus, the Son of God, uh, by whose grace I stand and in whose grace I hope, you know, that's not a deist or a secularist. That, uh, Heavenly Father, I appear before you in the robes of righteousness of thy dear son Jesus. That sounds like a, a man who knows the God that he's communing with, doesn't it? It sure does, and it, it also helps us to understand that when, when you see the, some of the portraits of George Washington praying, he knew of whom he was praying to. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, let's well, get, go ahead, brother. Yeah, I was going to give that number, folks. It's 888-589-8840. We would be very honored to hear from you and hear your Bible question on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Amen. Well, first, we're going to go to Brad in Illinois. Brad, good afternoon, and welcome to Exploring the Word. Yes, hi there. Um, appreciate uh, your, your ministry and uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I have a uh, family member, a stepson, uh, who lives a the uh, gay lifestyle, and we've always supported them and try to love them as we should. And, but uh, he and his partner are getting married, and uh, I would like to know uh, what you uh, see in Scripture about a Christian attending a, a so-called gay marriage. Well, Brad... Um... I, I don't know that there is a scriptural reference for not attending the marriage. I do think there's a lot of scripture, you know, that talks about fellowship and association. And I want to be very careful here that I don't mean you can't love your your stepson and love the partner. I'm, I'm not saying that at all, because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that includes me. You know, it was like the litany of sins we talked about the other day. You know, as such were some of you. And uh, that includes, you know, includes us. But I would, and man, this is very hard. You you and your wife have to pray about this and, and see what it is you want to do. Um, I, I personally would not be able to go to the wedding. Um, I, my daughter, my oldest daughter is in the homosexual lifestyle. And she married her partner, and we love both those girls. Would do anything in the world for them at any time that I could. I would do anything to keep my daughter from being hurt. But that said, I don't. In, I, I can't endorse their lifestyle. I can accept it, but I don't endorse it. And I don't fight with them about it either. You know, it, it, for me personally, it's one of those things that they know where I stand. They know what I believe. And I've never faltered on that. Uh, and so I think that it, that's something that you and your wife have to really pray about because to me it feels like 
an endorsement would be coming if you attended the wedding. Alex, you, you may have a different idea on that, brother, and you feel free to correct mm-hmm. me, too. Well, let, let me encourage you to read Romans chapter 14. And, and I, I agree with Jim, and, and my heart goes out to you because, you know, one, one of the unfortunate things of our era, Jim, is, and I was counseling with a family just a few weeks back, children that gravitate toward the homosexual lifestyle, and then maybe they have a partner and they want to have a ceremony. Uh, it's almost like a lot of gay kids force their children either you endorse what i'm doing or you stand for jesus but if you um don't acknowledge my gay wedding or my gay partner uh you will destroy this relationship and it's very it's it's not fair that a child would essentially make a parent choose between them and jesus because it's true um while we would lay down our life and do anything humanly possible for our children but at the same time uh if 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 that means deny the bible or deny god that is a line that that we just simply will not cross and and it's it's unfair um at the same time let me say this i really think every person has to pray it through and decide for themselves because while um we wouldn't want to go to the gay wedding and condone or endorse homosexuality. At the same time, you don't want to burn a bridge that would prevent further relationship and hopefully witness to your son or daughter that is at the moment living contrary to the will of God. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, and I, I'm not punting here, I'm really not, but I think this is one of those things like Paul says that every man is going to have to search it out in their own mind. Um, and so I, I don't know that there's one hard and fast rule for each and every Christian that might have to deal with this very challenging dilemma. Oh, I agree. I mean, it is, it's, a tough, it's a tough way to go. Um, but, Brad, I, I would encourage you to love them. Let them know that you love them. But you and your wife really have to pray about that and uh, what's going to happen there. And so uh, I'm with Alex, you know, just got to you gotta you just gotta be careful search the scripture and make sure it's applicable for how you want to live but never forget to be the hands and feet of jesus to them that's and that's my encouragement there so thanks for the call brad we appreciate you this afternoon alex um brad what's your wife's name if you don't mind uh it's maria well father this afternoon we come to Mm. you And we ask you that the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, our comforter, would come, that they would see the wisdom of the living word of God and that they would be able to apply it to this situation. Father, that you would would be with them, help them know what to do, and help them know how to show Christ to their their son and to the the other gentlemen there. Lord, that you would be with them. And again, Mm -hmm. help them be Jesus in this time. We pray for them, we bless them, and we ask again that you minister to them by your Spirit, in Jesus' yes. name. Brad, Amen. appreciate your call, brother. Well, now we're going to talk to Hal, and Hal is calling from North Carolina. Hal, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring good the a- Word. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Thank you all so much for what you're doing, and I uh, enjoy listening when I can. 
Well, we're glad uh, you do. Thank you for listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I've learned a lot, too, about it. I've uh, learned a lot of, of Scripture listening to it and just had something pop up in my head right when they said call earlier. Uh, this past Sunday, we had a, a class on the return of Jesus, and uh, one of our members uh, started talking about our, our teacher had a, a timeline up there on church age, rapture, tribulation, and the millennium, and then eternity. And he brought up that uh, we will still be here during the tribulation. And everything that I've learned and talked about has said that we will be raptured out of here before the tribulation. Can you put some uh, verses out there I can read up on, and, and what's your thoughts on that? Alex, you and Bert did a great teaching on end times as you were going through the book of Revelation. So I know you have something geared up. Yeah, um, God bless you. Uh, th this is one of those areas where, you know, equally good, godly, well-intentioned people sometimes disagree. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say this, and I'm only speaking for Alex here. I believe in what is called the pre-tribulational rapture, that there will be a time when this church age ends and the church is caught away and there will be seven literal years of tribulation here on earth. I don't think the, the current church will have to go through the tribulation period. Now, uh, there are people who say, well, the church will go through the tribulation, or some say the rapture might come midway through the tribulation, you know, the 1260 days halfway through the seven-year period. Um, one of the arguments for the pre-tribulational rapture, if you read after Revelation 4, the church is really not mentioned again until uh, the new heavens and new earth in Revelation uh, 21 and 22. Another thing is that the Bible says that we are not appointed unto wrath, and this is the wrath of the Lamb that comes on on the world, and yet in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, says that uh, literally God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's um, speaking in the context of the wrath of God on this fallen world. Jim, uh, some there, there can be arguments either way. I, I think some of the arguments for a mid-trib rapture um, are more talking about Jews that get saved during the, the time of the tribulation because, you know, we are right now generally in what is known as the times of the Gentiles. And Luke 21, 24 talks about the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. There will be people saved during the tribulation. Those are largely Jewish people that get martyred by the Antichrist. So um, it, this is not one of those things set in concrete, but generally um, we understand that the rapture will call the church out before the wrath of the tribulation. Uh, but it's not something I would burn any bridges over and break fellowship with. You know, I agree with that, Alex. I think that was well said. Uh, you know, Keith Green used to talk about praying for pre and preparing for post. Uh, there and you I go. Think, I think that's good advice. Uh, we certainly would not want to go through the tribulation, but if we do, remember 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, that he will not put anything on us that we're not able to bear or escape. And so uh, that's by his spirit. And so I would encourage you with that. Uh, you know, there are a lot of folks out there that have different teachings on that. But like Alex said, we know it's coming. We don't necessarily know when, 
But the thing to do there is just simply be ready for Christ. All right, let's talk to Joseph calling from Mississippi. Joseph, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you very much. How are you uh, professors doing? Brother, We're blessed I, to hear from you. I, I was going to say the same thing, and I've gotten a promotion <laughs> this afternoon, so God bless you. <laughs> yeah, y'all are doing a, a wonderful work. Um, I have two questions, actually. When What year was um, Nahum, uh, that, that particular um, uh, chat, when, when was it done? Somewhere around 630 to 670 B.C., Okay, and the other thing I, I wanted to say is that um, uh, even uh, the young man that called up about his um, son and and, uh, and Jim about your daughter is that we gotta if we don't remember nothing else we gotta remember that um, all the works of the curse has a shelf life mm-hmm. because it's made by created beings. We have to wait it out according to how the Lord is leading us to wait it out and just be um, faithful and diligent to what he has us to do on a daily basis because it's his battle. He'll take care of it. And that hopefully that'll take a lot of weight off of us thinking that we're responsible because I've, I've gone through some, something like that with one of my children. And the Lord showed me 20 years ago to let him go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Joseph, uh, I don't disagree with that, but I also believe that, you know, we need to be like that prodigal father. We need to watch every day to see if they're coming home. And when they do, then when they do, we run to greet them and we wrap them in the, in the robe of love and forgiveness uh, because mm-hmm. that's what Christ did for us. Alex, thanks for letting me hang out with you this week. Well, beautifully said, Jim. We wrap them in the robe of love and forgiveness. It's great to be with you folks. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.